Praising the Lord. Saul, will a man rob God? Absolutely. Most of humanity always has and continues to do so. I still remember where I was when I first read that text for the very first time. I was sitting under my pecan tree, 3323 North Cypress, North Little Rock, Arkansas, USA. I was born again in 83, and I had this voracious appetite for the Word of God. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. It usually happens to people who are born again. Um, and all day I would look forward to coming home and sitting under my pecan tree, right? And just reading large swaths of God's Word, right? I, I would spend some time with the family. And, but during the summer, man, you know, if it wasn't rainy, I'd go out and sit under the pecan tree and I would read God's Word and I loved it. I loved it, man. It was like He was teaching me so much stuff. I'm sure some of you have had this kind of experience in your life. It was like I had a personal tutor, right? Right? Well, I did, didn't I? It was the, the Holy Spirit of God teaching me the Word of God. So, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to... I, I'll just never forget that summer, 1983. Much time alone with the Lord and in the Word. And lightning strikes of insight would just hit my mind and my heart again and again. And... Again, there was a lot of wonder and astonishment and awe. And yes, oh, guess what? You know how it is when you read God's Word. What? Conviction. There was a lot of deep conviction about all the things that were not right in my life. I think I've told you many times. Um, I, was in, I grew up in the church. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. I was at church all the time, but it didn't mean anything to me. When I was eight, I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. It still didn't mean anything to me. I just did what I was, thought I was supposed to do. It was, just, it was just religious performance. It was just cultural Christianity, right? In my culture, when you're eight or nine, you're supposed to come to Christ. And if you don't come to Christ when you're eight or nine, man, there's a lot of peer pressure, right? So, I did that. And again... It, made, it, was, it meant nothing to me. But in 1983, God gave me, you know, like, like He says, I think it's in Jeremiah, He goes, I'm going to give you a heart to know me. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a heart to know me. And that's what He did in 83. And so in 83, when I crashed into Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? I knew I was guilty. I knew I was a God robber. I knew it instantly. I'd been in church all my life. I know that church people are supposed to give money to God. I knew it. I've known it all my life. I just hated it. I resented it. It was my money. I'm just coming to church because it's culturally proper and my mom and dad like it when I come to church. That's the only reason I'm coming to church. 
I'm bringing my family to church now that I'm a young man and have, have children. I'm bringing my family because, well, that's just what you do in my culture. You go to church. And I hated the offering plate. I hated it. I hated it. But in my, in my tradition, the offering plate came down the pew every Sunday. So if you attended church, you had to face the offering plate because, bam, here it comes, right? It's one reason we don't pass the offering plate here, okay? I don't want any of you ever to give because of peer pressure, ever. If that's the only reason you can come up with to give, just don't give. It doesn't please God. But you know, I'd always have a couple of small bills in my billfold and I would peel them out. I would crumple them up so no one could see just how little I was giving to God, just how pathetic my offering was. And I would crumple them up and as the plate would come by, I would kind of stick them in, you know, and pass it on. That's how it was. I hated it. All I knew was I was supposed to do it, but I resented it and I hated it. And here's the truth. Some of you can relate. I was so hopelessly self-absorbed that I thought my money was about me. I thought my money was about me. But what I learned reading the Bible is money's about God. Money, your money, is about God. So I'm sitting in the backyard. <laughs> Will a man rob God? God says, you are robbing me. But how? You say, have we robbed you? God says, in tithes and in Offerings. Again, as, as soon as I read it, I knew I was the man. I knew I was guilty. And I remember the sting of coming to the realization that I was a God robber. That's, uh, that's a hard thing to own for yourself. But I had to own it because I knew that I was. I was not only a God robber, I was a premeditated God robber. I conspired to rob from God. I conspired how not to give very much to God. I was under deep conviction. <laughs> 1983. Under that pecan tree. The, the first thing, again, it was, it was the conviction that yes, indeed, I was the, man, I was the guilty man. The second, thing was, the second thing I felt was like a, kind of a, a fear. And some of you can relate to this because I had myself in such a financial box that there was no way I could truly honor God. I couldn't give a tithe. How could I ever give a tithe? I was so much in debt because I wanted stuff for myself and my family. I was so indebted, so leveraged, there was no way I could ever honor God in my finances. That was the second thing that hit my mind. How could I ever do this? How could I ever honor God with my money? I've got it all invested in Jim. It's all about Jim. These were the circumstances that I was facing. But one reason I love to read the Bible so much, two verses after I read I'm a God robber, I read this. <laughs> Malachi 3, verse 10. God says, He says to Jim Albright, sitting under the pecan tree at 28 years old, 1983, He says, Jim, I'll tell you what, you bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse 
so there may be food in my house. And test me. God says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Don't you love God's Word? He convicts us of our sin and then He, then he makes this promise that helps us come out of our sin. Right? Jim, you're a God robber. You've always been a God robber. You love robbing me. Two verses later, but here's a promise to you, Jim. If you'll honor me in your finances, I will bless you. It was a big deal. It was a big night for me. I had this dilemma. I was leveraged. But I decided, God, show me how. This is what I started to pray. God, show me how. Show me how to honor you in your finances. This is our next sermon in the Unplanned Sermon Series. We get to do a lot of things as Christians, and this is it tonight. We get to give. We get to give. The last six weeks we've talked about we get to pray, we get to worship, we get to obey, we get to believe, we get to suffer, we get to be holy. Last week, and we get to give quickly. We get to pray. We get to sit in our Father's lap. And we get to talk to Him and we get to listen to Him. We get to be changed by Him. And He brings us to that place where we love His sovereign will. Whether He says yes or no, we love His sovereign will because we love Him. We get to worship. We experience that profoundly deep and beautiful dimension of worship. It's the highest pleasure a human being can experience. The intimate worship of God. We get to obey Jesus Christ because He's a promise keeper. Right? We get to obey Jesus Christ radically. And if we don't obey Jesus Christ radically, it's simply because we don't want to. It's not because we can't. It's because we don't want to. We have every provision made for us to obey Him radically. We get to believe all of these awesome things. Not just for this life. In fact, most of the promises God have, have made is not for this life. It's for the next. And we get to believe all this awesome stuff. Right? <laughs> I mean, jaw-dropping stuff. We get to believe it. Two weeks ago, we saw that we get to suffer. As Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It will happen. It's a done deal. It will happen. If you're a real disciple in the real world, you'll be persecuted to one degree or another. But that wasn't the title of my sermon. Who remembers the title of my sermon? It wasn't we get to suffer. What was it? Pardon me? We get to overcome. We will suffer, but we will overcome in Christ Jesus. Last week we saw that we get to be holy. Holiness is not a drag. Holiness for the born-again believer is a, is, a, is a portal, is an opening into the true beauty and pleasure of God. It's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's called sanctification. It's called sanctification. So tonight... We're going to marvel at the seventh privilege of every true believer. We get to radically, open-handedly, free-heartedly, happily give to God. It's what Christians do. It's how the church is funded. By your offerings and my offerings. It's how God planned it. And we get to be part. We get to invest in the kingdom of God. 
Right? We get to invest in the kingdom of God. A hundredfold return, he says. What is a hundredfold return? How many percentages is that? 10,000% return. Now, if some fast-talking banker walked in here and offered you a 10,000% return, how much money would you give them immediately? Probably as much as you could scrape up, right? Guaranteed 10,000% return. Bam, take all my money, please. That's what God says. Again, you guys have been around long enough to know. <laughs> I'm not preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. But God makes some awesome promises to those who will honor Him in their finances. So why do we give? We talked about it somewhere. One of the Bible studies recently, I remember saying it. Why do we give? Because God's a giver. We take on the family resemblance. We're adopted into the family. So we, be, we become like our Father in this. We become givers. He's an omnipotent giver. We become givers. It just becomes, if we're in the family, it's who we are. He's a giver. And we are becoming radical givers. God is our lavish example. And here's the delicious promise. I hope you already know you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. It's what he's saying in Malachi 3:10. God says, "Honor me in your money, and I will bless you. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that the earth cannot contain." This is big stuff. <laughs> um yeah, this is big stuff. So, I think it was Jesus, wasn't it? Of course it was. I'm supposed to know this. I went to seminary, right? I'm supposed to know what Jesus said, right, Martin? Absolutely. Okay. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to... Do any of you believe it? Do you believe it? Does your giving... Does your giving... Evidence that you believe it. You know, it's easy to say I believe it, but what do your deeds say? What do your deeds say? You know, the deeds always tell what you really believe. Deeds always confirm what you really believe. It's easy. Words are cheap. But we're talking about... Jesus said, blessedness. What is blessedness in the Bible? What, what is one of the root meanings of being blessed? What is it? To be happy. To be happy. So let me just stop and ask you, do you really believe what Jesus is saying? Do you believe there's blessedness in giving? Do you believe there's happiness in giving? Or do you believe that the more stuff you can hold to yourself, the more money you can hold to yourself, the more things you can accumulate for yourself, that's where your blessedness and your happiness really lies. What do you really believe? It's in your checkbook, beloved. It's in your credit card statement. What you really believe. And let me ask you this. This is a question God laid on my heart about four, five, six, ten years ago. I can't remember now. I think it's about six or eight years ago. I was going to preach on money and giving. And the Holy Spirit slapped me upside the head. Don't you love it when He does that? And He said, Jim, why don't you give more? Why don't you give more? 
And I realized it wasn't because I couldn't. It was because I didn't want to. That's what it always comes down to, beloved. It's not that I can't. It's that I don't want to. And I was so convicted that Karen and I radically increased our giving. And I think after working on this sermon this week, I'm going to have to increase it again. Which is to my good. I'm investing in the kingdom of God. Right? God doesn't need my money, but oh man, do I have the privilege to invest in the kingdom. It's better than getting in on the Google boys. What do they call a stock, option, a stock offering? I forget now. The, the Google boys. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So are you afraid to be too blessed? Is that the deal? Are you afraid that you'll be too happy? So I'm going to ask you, why don't you give more of your money to God in worship? What I've seen in 32 years of ministry is not that people can't give more, it's that they just don't want to give more. I just don't want to. And if you're a Christian in here sitting here tonight, and that's where you are, I just want to lovingly challenge you. I think you need to recalibrate your thinking. God doesn't lose anything in this equation. <laughs> he doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a gross understatement. He owns the whole cosmos. But take it from an old guy. Take it from an old Christian. You would be wise to invest heavily in the kingdom of God. You will be blessed. You will be happy. Happier as you invest heavily in the kingdom of God. It's not ultimately about ability for most people. Even people who are just getting by. Gosh, Oh my goodness, what about the widow who threw in her last two cents in the Gospels? You say, I can't give. Wrong! You can! I don't care where you are, you can give. You can honor God in your money. It doesn't matter where you are on the socioeconomic scale. You can give to God. And if you're not giving to God, you are just like me. You're a God robber. I know that's hard. I'm just telling you, this is what I faced. And I want you to learn from my mistake. I don't want you to spend a large chunk of your life robbing God. Because your preacher never stood up and talked about it. I think I have some credibility when it comes to money because I don't, I don't beg you for money. I don't have money campaigns. I don't even pass the offering plate in this church. I don't want... I don't want anyone to ever think I'm preaching the gospel for money. And so I, I err to, to, to the far end of the spectrum. We just don't talk about it. Almost never. But I, it would be, what's the word I'm looking for? Malpractice for me not to stand in this pulpit occasionally and tell you what God says about it. It would be malpractice. So, we're Christians, we get to give. <laughs> We get to give huge. Why can we give huge? Because we trust our Father. We know our Father. We love our Father. We can give huge because He is a promise keeper. 
It's not about ability, it's about priority. When you do your budget, what comes first? What comes first in your budget? God? Where do, okay, you say, no, Jim, not really. Okay, where does God come in? When does God get onto the ledger? You know, one thing I've learned about being in the church this long, a lot of people give when they feel like it. Well, I'm waiting for the feeling. It's not what God calls His people to do. God's not, God's not inviting you to give when you feel like it. He's inviting you to give as a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle, beloved. It's what Christians do. We give. We invest heavily in the kingdom of God. We get to do that. Nobody else is going to invest in the kingdom of God but the people of God. We get to do it. It's just like the Google boys calling you up before their stock went public and saying, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you in on something. It's going to make you wealthy. And of course, we're not in it for simply, you know, physical wealth, material wealth. We're in it for what really matters, the spiritual the spiritual wealth of it. So I, I almost tell people sometimes, I say, listen, if your mentality is spare change, just don't even go there. If your mentality about, about giving to God is, well, I, whatever spare change I have, or, you know, I, I haven't prioritized it, I haven't planned it, I haven't budgeted it, I haven't projected it, it's just catch as catch can, it's just whenever I feel like it, I say, don't even go there. Don't go there. Don't insult God with your spare change. Don't insult God with it. Decide who you are in Christ. And decide, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to honor God in my money. I don't want to be a God robber. That's the challenge that we have tonight. One thing I want to say to you is, is how you handle your money, it's all about God. It's not about anything other than God. How you view it is a reflection of your view of God. How you prioritize your money, it's a reflection on how you view God. Your anxiety about financial issues, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Period. It's always about God. It's never not about God. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, the credibility of your Christianity is at stake in how you handle your money. It's never about ability, beloved. The widow threw in two cents and God praised her. Jesus Christ praised her. It's not about how much. It's about being in the game. It's about priority. It's about desire. It's about love. It's about worship. It's about delighting in God. So, you know that this church's philosophy, if you don't know, you'll know now. This church's philosophy on giving, it's a New Testament view. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it's right on that plaque. It says this, God says, this I say, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious, the Greek is literally hilarious, giver. God loves a cheerful giver. 
If we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. If we sow sparingly, if we give sparingly, we reap sparingly. Someone tell me, am I wrong? Reaping bountifully sounds better to me. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. I think it sounds better because it is better. It sounds better because it is. But here's the thing. You get to decide. You get to decide. God lets you decide how much you're going to bring to Him. He doesn't force you to bring it. If it's not in your heart, I say don't bring it. God doesn't want your offering that's offered grudgingly or under compulsion. God says, you decide about me. You decide about my word. You decide about honoring me and your money. You decide. I'm going to leave it up to you. You decide how you're going to worship me with your money. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 9, 6. You're going to love this. It's a great metaphor. He says, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. So, are you a stingy planter or a lavish planter? Which one are you? Which one are you? I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. The tithe is fine. You know, I think if you've been around, you know that I don't believe that New Testament believers are constrained to tithe. That's law giving. If you're giving under compulsion because of law, I say stop it. Don't give one more penny grudgingly or under compulsion under the law. Don't do it under the law. Do it because you love Him. Do it because you want to honor Him. Do it because you can't help but worship Him. That's why you give. That's why you give. Very quickly, there's only two times in the New Testament that tithing is mentioned. One, one time, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for their legalism. The second time, Hebrews chapter 7, the context is not giving at all. The context is just showing the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ over that of the Levitical priests. It's the only two times the word tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. Beloved, we are called past the tithe. I hope you understand it. The problem with the tithe that I've seen in, in the church through my lifetime is people get to one-tenth of their income and then they just stop. They say, well, I've done my thing. Bam! I checked my box with God. Bam! It's over. No! Jesus says, sell, that, sell what you own and give! We're never done! We get to give huge, beloved. We get to give huge. And I don't have time to exposit what Jesus is saying there in Luke chapter 12, but really, let me just make it simple for you. Jesus is saying, I expect My people to live simply so they can give radically. That's what He's saying. And there's a whole lot that can be said there, but I, I, I'm going to move on. God is calling His people to simplicity so they can give. Because it's more blessed to give God's just always calling you into blessing, you know? It's like people see God as a giver or a taker. Some people see, see Him as a taker. I'm not going to give God anything. He's always wanting my stuff. Hey, if that's how you feel about it, please don't bring Him an offering. He doesn't need it anyway. 
But if you see God as a giver, how can you not give back? How can you not want to give back? How can you not want to be... How can you not want to imitate Him and give back to the Lord? Just for your information, most of you know this, the Jew didn't give one-tenth. The Jew gave 2.33 tithes a year plus offerings. So if you, if you want to do the law... If, if, you're in, if you're all about law, one-tenth is not going to get it. You're going to have to give a whole lot more than that. I'm not against the tithe. It's a good place to start. You say, Jim, I'm not in a position to give 10% of my income. I say, okay. Then you sit down with your budget and you decide what you... You start working on it. And you start working your budget into that place where you can do, I think, the minimum that God calls His people to do. Again, I'm not going to put law on you. What I'm going to say is it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. So in the time remaining, I'm just going to show you four examples from Scripture of how God expects us to give. Okay? From Scripture, to Old Testament, to New Testament. Okay? That's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. And I want you to ask yourself, as I go through these examples, I want, to, I want you to, to think about what is this about and what is this not about? Okay? I'm going to give you these four examples and you look at these examples and you ask yourself, what is this about? What is this not about? Okay? It's very obvious. The quiz will be simple. Exodus 25, verse 2, God tells Moses, I want you to raise a contribution for me from the people for the tabernacle. Okay? So Moses says, God says, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart is moved. I love this. This is why givers give. Their heart is moved. It's not I'm doing law. It's my heart is moved. God says, raise this contribution. And Moses said to the people, whoever has a willing heart, let him bring the contribution to God. I'll give you these verses if you want them. Email me and I'll send my notes to you. Next verse says, everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was moved he came and He brought a contribution to the tabernacle. It's free will offering. It's not law. This is not about calculations and percentages. This is, I, this is what's in my heart. This is true giving. This is true worship. I love this. These are moved, stirred, and willing hearts. Freely worshiping and freely giving. And you know what happens in Exodus 35 and 36. They were bringing too much stuff. They loved God too much. They were worshiping God too much. And Moses said, you got to stop bringing in so much. <laughs> That's what every preacher wants to be able to preach to his congregation, right? Moses said, you got to stop. It's too much stuff. The people had to be, and I love the text, the people had to be restrained. So what's that about? And what's that not about? It's not about law. It's about desire, beloved. 
It's about delight. That's what it's about. You know these words, Psalm 63, 1 and 3, O God, Thou art my God, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. It's natural that the man who wrote those words would say these words. First Chronicles chapter 29, David says, Now with all of my ability. You see why spare change is an insult? David says, with all of my ability. It's a priority for me, David says. I have provided for the house of God. Man, I love these texts. You know, you're going to have to, I, I know this, it, it's, this is how it happens with me. I've got to give more now. <laughs> you know? Listen, this is something you need to revisit every year, if not more often. Because it's so easy to say, well, I give this much and bam, I'm done. I, I challenge you as an investor in the kingdom of God to revisit this at least once a year, if not quarterly where you are with God on this. Because the flesh just wants to, you know, well, I'll just do this. The flesh is not going to push itself unless you are pushed by the Word of God. So the heart that seeks for God, thirsts for God, and yearns for God, the heart that unashamedly says God's loving kindness is better than life, of course, yeah, he says, with all of my ability, I will provide for the house of the Lord and moreover in my delight in the house of my God the treasure I have gold and silver I give to God. What's it about? Is it about law? No. <laughs> Is it about duty? No. It's about love. It's about worship. It's about awe. It's about the privilege to give to this great God. Here's another one. We mentioned this guy a couple of weeks ago. Luke 19. Little bitty short guy. He wanted to see Jesus. He went up, ran ahead and climbed the tree. The guy that climbed the tree is not the same guy that came down. He came down changed, right? He'd met Jesus. Jesus said, let's go to your house. Zacchaeus had received Jesus. Not only into his house, but into his heart. <laughs> Zacchaeus says, Lord God, behold, half of my possessions I give immediately to the poor. What's this about? Is this about law? Someone tell me. Is this law? What is it? It's desire. It's delight. And then Zacchaeus said, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll give them four times as much. Well, the, under the law, the penalty was 20% fine if you defraud someone. Zacchaeus says, I'll, I'll go way better than that. Anyone I've defrauded, I'll give them back four times. Do you see that the man went up the tree, loved his money. The man that came down the tree loved his God. And it's a complete change. A complete change. One more. This is my favorite one. I love to tell her story. She'd been thinking about it for a long time and She was afraid what people would say. But when she looked at him, she didn't care anymore. So she excused herself and she ran down the street and she went into her bedroom and she got the most costly thing that she owned. It was a vial of costly perfume. See, she ran back down to Simon's house and she was having second thoughts about it. It seemed like too much. And then she looked at Jesus again and it seemed like way too little. 
So she walked over to him and their eyes met. And he said with his eyes, Do all that is in your heart, my child. And she broke the vial. And she poured a year's wages over his head. And she anointed his feet and she wiped them with her hair. What is this about? Is this about law? No. And Jesus loved it. Jesus loved it. He said, wherever the Gospel is preached from this day forth, her, she will be remembered for what she has done. And beloved, when we give in love and worship to God, it's not simply to be remembered in this life. It will echo through eternity. It will ripple eternity. I'm not sure that a whole lot of Christians I run into actually believe that. It will ripple eternity. This is not about law. This is about delight and desire. So, I know that some of us here have not yet learned to give like this, like these examples that we've looked at. Often when I preach on giving and money, the issue of guilt comes up. Um, maybe a sermon like this evokes some guilt, but that's the furthest thing from my, uh, my desire. Because bib Christi biblical Christian giving is never about guilt. It's always about love. It's always about desire. It's always about worship. That's what it's about. If the best you can do is guilt, keep the money in your pocket. If that's the best you can do. But if you love Jesus Christ, bring Him a worthy offering, beloved. Bring Him a worthy offering. Two cents got his attention. You know, it's always a matter of who you love, right? It's always about that. So back in 1983, God taught me that I was a God robber. And then immediately He taught me that there was a way out. It's by His promise. And why do people not honor God in their money? There are several reasons. There are many. I'll give you four. Because of fear and greed. Because of trust and treasure. I don't trust God to step up if I give this much. And actually, I treasure this money more than I treasure God. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we end up, beloved. We can rationalize all we want, but that's where we end up. So, my dilemma, I thought I couldn't afford to truly honor God, but let me tell you, as an old Christian, what I discovered was I simply could not afford not to honor God. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the next. I'm laying up treasures in heaven. This life doesn't really matter much to me anymore. What matters to me is that God is honored in my life and I'm laying up treasures in heaven. Luke chapter 12. As Jesus instructs us. We hit that beautiful promise in Young Adult Bible Study Wednesday night. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled 
with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You can honor the Lord from the first of your produce. You can because He's a promise keeper. It's never about ability. It's always about desire. So don't palm off on God your excuses. <laughs> He's heard them a thousand times. He's heard them all. He's heard every excuse in the book. But we all know, if we're biblically literate, we all know what we're really talking about. We're talking about our heart. And we're talking about God. Money is just the medium of exchange. All of life is about worship, and why would money be exempted? Right? Why would money be exempted? So... Your giving is a reflection of your view of God, so I'll just ask you, how do you view God? Giving is like everything else in the Christian life. It's about love and faith. Do you love Him enough to systematically and sacrificially give? Do you trust Him enough to systematically and sacrificially give? So I'm going to leave you with this question. Why don't you give more? God doesn't need your money. Take it from an old Christian. You need to give it. Quickly, Jim, how do I get started? On your knees? Praying about it? Owning the fact that you're a God robber? Own it? And then plan it? Prioritize it? Budget it? Make provision for it, as Paul says, first day of the week. Set it aside. Set aside what you'll do for God financially. Set it aside. It's not to be spent. It's not discretionary money. Oh, well, I want to I take this trip, so well, I'm, I'm going to have to dip into God's money. No, it's non-negotiable. God's money is non-negotiable. Unless you have an urgent need. It's always non-negotiable. Just do it, beloved. Just start to do it. If you've been negligent in this area, confess your sin and start to do it. From, take it from an old Christian who's been tithing or more for 32 years. I mean, Karen and I just blew right past the tithe once we got started. Um, take it from me. <laughs> Jesus is right! Jesus is right. So, let me close with two verses I'm done. You guys know this great verse. I love this verse. We read it in Young Adult Bible Study Wednesday night. Give! And it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Pouring into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. These are the words of Jesus Christ. These are not my words. These are the words of the Son of God. These are the words of your Creator. These are the words of your Redeemer. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will pour into your lap. By your standard, it will be measured back to you. It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God.
Let me just close. I'm just going to reread 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. This is who we are at ICM. Listen, if you're on a guilt trip right now, I don't want you to give a penny. I don't want you to give anything. Hey, if it's about guilt, don't ever make an offering in this church. It doesn't please God, and we don't need it that bad. But if you love Jesus Christ, if you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, by all means, worship Him with your money. This is what New Testament worship looks like. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. God says through His Apostle, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in your heart. God leaves it up to you. You do what you want. God says, hey, how much do you love me? Right? How much treasure do you want to lay up in heaven? Right? How much do you want to be a witness? How much do you want to let your money be a conduit of witness about me because you give sacrificially? You love me so much, you treasure me so much, you can give sacrificially. Not just spare change, but you know. It's in my budget. It's the first line item. God! Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. Lord, I ask Your forgiveness. I probably don't talk about this enough. My intentions are good. You know my heart. Sometimes you call us to simple obedience. There's nothing hard about this. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's just, will I obey you or not? Lord, there's some here that don't know You and they don't understand about giving like this. Lord, I pray for their soul. I pray that You'll be doing a work in their soul. There are others here who are immature in giving and they don't really know how to start. Lord, I pray that You would give them the will to start. Because what Jesus says is right. It's always right. <laughs> it's never not right. For it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus is right. Jesus is always right. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will pour into your lap for by your standard of measure. It will be measured back to you in return. Lord, help us to learn these things. Help us to learn the freedom of not loving our money or trusting in it. What freedom. What joy and what delight. Thank You, Father, that we get to give We get to invest in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord.